0: If you would, take your Bibles this morning and turn to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 9. We've completed our series through the Ten Commandments, and um, we'll be moving uh, here in a few weeks in, in and into another series, uh, but for right now we're going to come, come back and just maybe look at some, some of the basics, some of the essentials uh, as far as our church and, and what we believe and what, what really is so important to us uh, as, as Christians. And uh, it's, it's always good to come back and, and remember the basics, isn't it? And I think that's what we want to do um, here this morning. So Luke chapter 9, and we'll begin at verse number 21. We're really just focusing on one or two verses, but I want to read the context here. Luke nine twenty one. And he strictly charged and commanded them to tell this to no one, saying, The Son of Man must suffer, th- suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And he said to all, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words of him will the Son of Man be ashamed when he comes in glory and the glory of the Father and of the holy angels But I tell you truly, there are some standing here who will not taste death until they see the kingdom of God. I'm going to begin this morning just by making a confession to you. And some of you, if you've been here long enough, have already heard this confession. And and so it won't be a shock to you. Uh, But the confession that that I'm going to make this morning is that I am a cultural Kentucky basketball fan. I'm only a, a cultural or a nominal When when I was growing up that would have been unthinkable. I loved Kentucky basketball. In fact, it was probably one of my greatest passions uh, was to watch the Wildcats. I loved playing basketball still love playing basketball, uh, but I loved watching the Wildcats and and I didn't just watch the games. I listened to talk radio to find out what was going on in recruiting and what were the ins and outs. And I would I would buy newspapers and I would keep up with all of the latest information. I, I didn't want to miss a game. In fact, my passion was so great, there were sometimes on Wednesday nights, when, when the games were on Wednesday nights, You all, I, I would sometimes regret having to go to church because I would miss the game. And sometimes if it was an important game, we would put a VHS, VHS in and record it or something. Um, so that's kind of where I was. And over the years, things change. I, I don't know really what changed. I know at the end of the Tubby Smith years, it wasn't great. And I think it started to fade there. Cal came in and it was kind of exciting for a moment, but then the one and done thing for me is just like, you don't know the players, and I don't know, maybe it's just growing up, and, and those things that once were important are not near as important, but now I continue, and people assume that I like basketball, they assume that I watch the game, so I, I continue to kind of talk about it, even though I, I really don't know, I, I really couldn't even tell you the names of, of players last year, which will, I assume, change this year, and therein lies maybe part of the problem, uh, But but... I'm just a cultural fan. I'll, I'll try to talk about it with people and, and act like I'm excited, but but the excitement is not there. It's not the same as I once was. Many, what what I'm trying to make the point here this morning is that I think many Christians are Christians in the same way that I'm a Kentucky fan. It's sort of a, a cultural thing. There's been a lot of debate about what is a Christian or the definition of, especially the term evangelical Christian, uh, and and that term has come to be used by political pollsters to sort of describe even just a something more than than a religious thing. It's it's almost a political movement, but but the problem is that it's become so loosely defined that it basically applies to anyone with the slightest belief in God or Jesus or or if they ever go to church or they have any kind of religious background, they're sort of lumped in and called evangelical Christians. The abuse of that term, I think, is is part of uh, what we have here with the, sort of the Bible-based, uh, the Bible belt mentality, where if you grow up in a certain area, you're just kind of a Christian. Certain families and And you go to church and maybe you went to vacation Bible school when you were a kid and maybe even you you prayed a prayer and you you did a few religious things. And so like me now, you continue to say, yeah, I'm a Christian Although the reality is there's nothing about your life that really would define it as the life of a Christian, but, but there are these sort of cultural, this cultural baggage, this upbringing or your situation in a certain community that, that leads you to continue to affirm. Yes, I, I am a Christian in in many places in, in Kentucky, you know, you, you grow up, you, you grow up rooting for the wildcats. It's just what you do. Yeah, of course I'm a Kentucky fan. And And so it is the same. You kind of grow up going to church and to vacation Bible school. You're almost a a Christian by default. But this mentality is more of just a, a cultural expectation, more than any true devotion to Jesus Christ. You know, when I talked about those the pollsters who look at evangelical Christians and they lump them together and they say, you know, this percentage of evangelical Christians does this or that or votes for this or, or supports that. Uh, the reality is when you really get behind those numbers and you begin to investigate what they call an evangelical Christian, you realize that most of them, there, there's nothing in a in hundred miles of their life that would really define them as, as an actual Christian. They have little or no knowledge of true Christianity, especially of the gospel, uh, but, but when they're asked things about the Trinity or or about particular Christian doctrines, they, they can't articulate even the slightest, most basic form of those doctrines. Further, they don't really evidence any kind of real life commitment that that would say that they're following Jesus things just so basic as even attending church in any kind of consistent way or or any kind of life of morality those things seem to be absent and so it, it seems for many all it means to say that they're a christian is, is that they have some sort of cultural affiliation at, you know as opposed to yeah i'm christian as opposed to being islamic or, or buddhist or being an atheist yeah i'm sort of vaguely religious Well. Needless to say, this is problematic, right? It's problematic because clearly Jesus states that to be identified with him, is it means that you are totally committed in your life to follow him. He he called for, in these verses and and in other places, a a life of complete devotion, not not merely an assent to certain truths or, or sort of being vaguely religious or spiritual. It is something so much more than that. According to Jesus himself, being a Christian is much more than checking a box on a a polling questionnaire or wearing a cross or being loosely sympathetic to certain views of morality. With with Christ, there really is no halfway, no half-hearted commitment. As he defines it, there is no such thing this morning, you need to understand that there is no such thing as an uncommitted Christian. The two things are, are, it's an oxymoron let's define this term a little bit Uh, to be a christian is is to be a disciple when we talk about discipleship we're we're talking about uh, my endeavor your endeavor uh, of personally trusting in and following Jesus Christ, and then as we follow Jesus Christ, becoming more and more like him. That's what discipleship is. It's a journey throughout your life in which you say, yes, I'm following Jesus. I'm trusting in him. He's the Lord of my life. And so I'm beginning this this journey of following him, of being obedient to him. And, and as I do that, I begin to be transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. It's an ongoing, lifelong journey. Process and then we're also called which we're not going to get into this this morning But we're called then to disciple other people's discipling is when when we come alongside other people and try to encourage them in their process of growing and mature Maturing so to be a a Christian is to be a disciple and discipleship is is simply this It is in one sense in a negative sense putting off the old self putting off our our ourself In our text, Jesus sort of uh, issues the initial or the essential invitation to follow him. And, And in so doing, he defined the substance of what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. That is to be a person who has denied their own will and has engaged in this process of following and becoming like Jesus. So let's look at these verses here. The first thing that we see in, in verse 23 is that discipleship is the singular invitation. Notice in verse 23, and he said to all, he said it to all, "If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me." Do you see this? It's a it's a it's a statement that's made to all, and. and And it's a singular invitation. It's to anyone, anyone who wants to follow Christ, anyone who wants to be identified with Jesus Christ, this is the invitation. This is what is required. It, this is the baseline commitment for all Christians. This is not the, the level of commitment for super spiritual Christians or just for the first apostles, for those first disciples to say, OK, that was their commitment. But but maybe I could have a version of Christianity that's a little less rigid. It, it requires maybe a little bit less. Many people want to almost do that. It's almost as if they want to create sort of different levels of Christianity, uh, and and so maybe some people like they've got the platinum package that really requires self-denial and and so much. But, you know, me, I just got the bronze package and uh, I'm going to get to heaven, of course. And uh, I'll go to church once in a while and I'm going to try to be a good person. Uh, but it's just the bronze package. I get heaven, but it's not all of the baggage. It's not all of the requirements. And and what we see in this text is there is no leveling like that. This is the essential call to all. If anyone wants to follow Jesus Christ, this is what is required and nothing less. You must deny yourself, he says here. Now, sometimes we we sort of come and and can kind of almost make it sound halfway spiritual with sort of a false humility. You know, uh, well, I know I'm not what I need to be. Uh, I I need to be better. I, I need to do better. Uh, I know I'm not as committed as as those people. And we could all say that in a sense, right? We could all identify I'm not perfect. There's sin that I struggle with. I, I need to grow in, in my faith. But if what we are doing when we say those kinds of things is sort of carving out this space where I can be a Christian that really has no commitment to deny myself and follow Christ, then, then that is not allowable. It's not humility at all. It's It's problematic when we do that. It's problematic when we try to create safe space for Christianity devoid of true commitment to follow Christ. Secondly, we see that discipleship is a radical. Invitation. It is a radical invitation. Notice what he says here. He says it to all. That's the singular invitation, but but it's a radical invitation. He said that you must deny himself. Anyone who wants to come after me, this is what you need to do. Something kind of small, maybe. No, no, you've got to deny yourself and follow me. In other words, if a person wants to identify as one of my followers, this is that baseline commitment that is required. Notice what he does not say. He does not say, pray a prayer and ask Jesus into your heart. He doesn't say, check the box on a political poll that says you're an evangelical Christian. He doesn't say, just believe in God, believe that God exists. He, he doesn't say, go to church and be religious. None of those things would, would be bad in and of themselves, but that is not what he says. He says, if you want to come after me, this is what you've got to do. You've got to deny yourself. He calls us to a life of self denial you must be willing then in other words to to set aside your own interest to set aside your own desires in order that you might follow him and and that is the key in this this isn't self-denial just for the sake of self-denial this isn't because God just wants to see you suffer this self-denial is for a purpose it's for an end and that end is that you might follow the will of Christ and not your own will you see in in other words you cannot be self-determining and be obedient to Christ you can't say, I'm going to govern my own life. I'm going to do it my own way. I'm going to make my own decisions and be submitting to Jesus Christ. The, the two things are going to lead you in divergent ways. And, and when, that, when that fork in the road comes, you're either going to follow Christ or you're going to follow your own way. And if you're going to be a Christian, what is required of you is that you would deny what you want, deny your desires, deny your will, and follow the will of Christ. That's what is required. This is what it means to be a Christian. Everyone, everyone who wants to follow Christ must be ready to deny their own will so that they may exalt the will of Christ. This is what it meant for his first disciples. In Matthew four eighteen. when Jesus came to them and it says in Matthew four eighteen, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simeon, who is called Peter and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea We read that story and I don't know that we really grasp the full impact of all that that means. These guys were fishermen. They weren't out on Saturday having lunch with their dad and having some dad time just fishing for the fun of it. This was their livelihood. This was their occupation. And, and all of that was tied together with their family obligation because in those days so often you learned a skill or a trade from your father and it was a family business. This is what your father did. And so you learn it and you carry on the family business. And so when Jesus calls them to follow him, to be his disciple, he said, leave all of that behind. No big requirement, right? Just leave behind your occupation and your family and come and follow me. Now, I started to say, you know, in those days, your family was a big deal. But I mean, is there any culture at any time where your family isn't important, right? Most cultures are the same in that way. This is a big deal. And this is what Jesus calls them to leave behind and notice their response. This is the response of a disciple. Immediately, they they followed him with Andrew and and with Peter and then with James and John, immediately they left the boat and their father and they followed him. What a great commitment. But that's, that's the life of a disciple. Jesus says, hey, leave that behind and come and follow me. And the person who's a disciple says, yes, Lord, I'm following you. And immediately leaves behind whatever it is God is calling you away from discipleship then is a radical invitation it is a self-denial but discipleship is also a deadly invitation notice what he says here deny you must deny yourself take up his cross and follow me in case this whole idea of self-denial wasn't provocative enough Jesus makes the radical implications of this invitation even clearer What he's calling you to this morning and in each of us, if we're disciples, what he calls us to is nothing short of a death. We know to take up your cross, the cross was an instrument of death. This is one of the ways that people were executed in the ancient world. And so this self-denial is symbolized here by Jesus as a, a readiness, our readiness to put to death our own will and our own desires. When you come to follow Jesus Christ, you have to be ready to die. The mark of a true Christian then, the mark of a true Christian is not that the person wears a decorative piece of jewelry, a cross around their neck, but that their life is marked by the cross. The the death of their will, the death of their own desires in order that they might follow Christ. And Jesus gives us an example of this. Of course, He's our Savior. He's more than a, a good example, but He does give us an example of what the life of discipleship means. And, and you remember what it was when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane and He's praying there. He's getting ready to go to the gro- cross. He's getting ready to take up His own cross. And, and He prays to the Father, Father, if it be Your will, let this cup pass from Me. Nevertheless, not My will, but Your will be done. That's, that's the kind of cross life that we are to to follow god calls us to do something it's difficult it's challenging it sometimes feels like we're dying inside it i mean just think about the the reality of that deny your desires deny your own will say you know this is what i want so so deeply this is what i'm longing for this is the direction i want to go in my life Those kind of deep desires, it's not easy to just set those aside. We're not talking about just changing, you know, where you're going to eat lunch today. We're we're talking about changing the deepest desires and longings of your heart in order that you might follow Christ. It feels like a death, but the life of a disciple is is someone who says, I'm going to put that on the cross. I'm going to go to the cross in a sense, and I'm going to lay that aside in order that I might follow what Christ wants. Discipleship is a deadly invitation. Discipleship is a daily invitation. He says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross daily and follow him. Take up your cross daily. This is an invitation not to a a temporary or a one time kind of act. Well, you know, when I was at BBS, when I was 12, I gave my heart to Christ and you know, this is an everyday kind of invitation. Every day that you wake up, there are desires that would lead you away from Christ. There are things that you want that would that would pull you away from the Lord. And every single day, you you've got to take those and crucify those, and and get rid of those, and submit those to the lordship of Jesus Christ, and say, Christ, I'm going to do what you want, and not what I want. It's a daily invitation. Each and every day you're called to a fresh denial of your own will and a renewed submission to the will of Christ. And so discipleship is putting off self, but discipleship is also putting on Christ because we see the positive here. There's the deny yourself and take up your cross, but then there's the call to come and follow me. We need to understand a little bit about the concept of discipleship, discipling was was a well known practice. This wasn't something that Jesus came up with him himself. In those days, if you wanted to be schooled in a trade or or even uh, with with certain intellectual things, with with uh, you di- you didn't go to a university uh, and study under different people. You you would find a master. You would find somebody. Uh, Who was schooled himself and you would go sit at the feet of that person and you would learn to learn from them If they were a philosopher or some kind of theologian You would just sit and listen to their teaching You would basically live with them and just take up not only their instruction It wasn't like hey come from from five to eight and we'll do some instruction time It was a it was your whole life You went and followed this person so that you could learn what they had to offer in the same way, uh, like with the trades we talked about a minute ago, the fathers would teach the sons. And this was you go out and you just learn. You give your life to follow and, and learn from this person. And that's what discipleship is. We do that sometimes even today in the modern world. There are some, certain professions uh, that you sort of learn from somebody rather than just going to school. Trades are that way. Sometimes you go and you sit under a master electrician or something and you, they kind of teach you and provide you with, with instruction. And so the goal of discipleship is that as you're sitting at their feet, as you're learning from them, you, you are becoming like them. You're learning their instruction, but, but you're more than that, you're taking on their way of life. Luke 640 says this, a disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. That's the goal of discipleship. That's what discipleship is. Come and follow me and and you're going to learn from me. I'm going to provide you instruction, but you're also going to become like me. You're going to take on my way of life. And this is how the Christian life works. Yes, we, we come by faith to see Jesus as the Son of God who is worthy to be trusted as our Savior. And so we put our faith in Him. And, and that's where so often in modern evangelical Christianity we end. You need to pray and receive Christ. You need to trust in Christ as your Savior. Period. End of sentence. But but biblical Christianity is deeper than that. It's, it's stronger than that. Yes, trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But there's this invitation to come and follow Him. It is is coming to see Him not only as your Savior, but, but also as your Lord, as the one that you love and you give your life then to follow Him. You don't merely trust Him to give you eternal life one day. You yield control to Him now to change your life today. Discipleship then is the intentional act of giving your life to follow Christ and in the process, you become like Him. Ralph Willard Said this, he wrote a lot about discipleship, and he said, This discipleship is the relationship I stand unto Jesus Christ in order that I might take on his character. As his disciple, I am learning from him how to live my life in the kingdom as he would if he were I. And Mark Dever says, This at the heart of following Jesus is Jesus' call to imitate and to replicate him. That's the call on your life. What, what should you be doing, Christian? You should be seeking to follow Jesus Christ, to imitate him, and to replicate him, to, to be more like him, to take on his character. So a disciple then isn't merely a learner. And that's another thing that we have in our mind is like, well, I just need to get more knowledge about Jesus. I need to get more knowledge about the Bible. Well, that's good. You do need to grow in knowledge about Jesus Christ, but that's not the end of the street. That's not where, that's not the end point. The, the end point isn't that you just have a big swollen head full of knowledge all about Jesus. The, the end game is that your life would be transformed, that you would put that knowledge into, into practice and And that you would live in a way that reflects the character of your Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. We are called to imitate Jesus. We're called to imitate him in his love. Jesus said in John 13, 34, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You hear that? Imitate me. You've seen me do it you've seen me love you even though you're imperfect even though you've sinned against me even though you've fallen in a thousand ways i've forgiven you i've loved you i've been patient with you now you do what i have done for you love in that way we're we're called to emulate or or imitate his humility Paul says in Philippians 2.5 that we are to have this mind among yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form of God did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Now you do that. That's the mind of Christ. That's the way that Christ lived. He, he poured himself out in service to his people and now you do the same thing. Follow and imitate Jesus Christ, we're called to imitate his holiness. Hebrews 7, 26 says, for it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sin. And we are called to emulate him in that holiness. We're called to emulate him in, in his suffering. In 1 Peter 2, 21, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps christ lived a life of suffering you are to live a life of suffering we're to follow him in so many ways in in obedience to the father we're we're to follow him in his unyielding submission and trust in the word of god well you just look at the way that jesus submitted his life to to scripture to the word of god when he was tempted what did he say what what did he say to satan He said, it is written. Satan, you're tempting me to do this. You want me to do this. But I trust in the authority of God's word. And so I'm going to do what God wants me to do in this moment. When it came to theological debate, what did he say to his opponents? You know, I have a good idea about this. No, what he said was, have you never read? Have you never read what scripture says? You see, he submitted his life to the word of God. You're called to emulate him in that way. You're called to have that same attitude of submission to the word of god and we're called to to imitate him in his mission he came to seek and to save the lost and we are called to go and make disciples of all the nations and there are dozens of other ways that you are called to imitate jesus christ but that is the call on your life if you are a christian this morning you are a disciple and that's what you need to be doing in your life this growth and in, in Christ-likeness, says. Mark Dever says, is a lifelong endeavor. Let's think about some application to this this morning and we'll bring it to a close. First, we just need to understand that this, this, this truth of discipleship and that sort of being the heart of Christianity, that influences us as a church. Our, our goal is to grow disciples, not merely numbers. Our goal is to grow disciples, not merely numbers. This means that our goal is not merely to fill these pews with more and more people who have little or no genuine commitment to Christ. We we don't measure success ultimately by whether or not there's a big crowds. Big crowds are not a sure indicator of God's blessing or of ministry success. The, The true measure of success is the number of people who are growing in discipleship, the number of people who are yielding their life to Christ in this process and who are growing step by step, day by day, all of us imperfect, all of us needing the grace of God, but with this foundational commitment that my life belongs to Christ and I want to do what he's called me to do. We're not content merely with the fact that you're attending here as, as a member. We we like that. We we, we like that you're attending here or you're a member. But but what we really want is for you to be more like Jesus. That's what I want in my life, in the life of my family members. I I want you to be more like Jesus. And that's our, our goal. I would say this as well. Another impact of this on our church is, is simply this. We do believe in missions. We believe in going and making disciples. There, there is that call to go into, into the world and make disciples. But you need to hear this and understand this. You can't lead other people where you haven't been. You, You're not going to be able to go and make disciples of the nations if you yourself are not a disciple and if you yourself are not growing in your discipleship. If you're not continuing to submit your life to Christ and follow him, you, how are you going to then be able to go and lead other people to Christ? We can we can't lead other people where we have not been. The second application point this morning is just simply to ask you the question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? Are you truly a disciple? Maybe you've called yourself a Christian. Maybe you would check that box. Hey, I'm not I'm not. Uh, buddhist i'm not muslim i'm not an an atheist i I believe in jesus but that's not the question is it when we look at texts like this the real question for you this morning is are you a disciple of jesus christ Have you come to the point in your life where you have denied your own will and you've surrendered control of your life not over to your desires, not over to your plan, not over to what you want, but you've surrendered your life over to what Christ would call you to do. To be a Christian is to be a disciple. You no longer set the agenda for your own life. Has your belief in that, that, that Jesus is the son of God led you to give control of your life over to him? Has your trust in him to save you from your sins led you to want to obey him and to follow his teaching about everything else? Or, or are you at this place where you're just saying, well, I want to trust in Jesus. Of course, I don't want to go to hell and I want the, the benefits of God's blessing and all of that, but I'm going to kind of hold on to control of my life. That, that is not what it means to be a Christian at all. Do you, do you see your life as your own? To do as you please? Or is your life surrendered to Christ? Are you, are you remembering what 1 Corinthians 6 says? That you are not your own. That you have been bought with a price. And so you are to glorify God with your body. Is, is your life marked by that kind of statement? My life isn't mine. It belongs to Christ. Do you know? Is that, is that even part of your experience this This idea of self-denial. Are there things in your life that you could look at in terms of your relationship to the Lord and and say, look, here's this evidence of self-denial. Here is this point where I I wanted this and my heart was set on this and I had these desires and I just pushed all of that aside in order that I might follow Christ and do what he has called me to do? Listen, as a believer, I am far far, far from perfect. I need God's grace every single day, but I can look back and reflect on my life and see these moments where where God has called me in a different direction, where God has exposed sin in my life and where I have said, yeah, I kind of like that sin, but I'm going to have to leave it aside in order that I might follow Christ. The life of the believer should be marked by those moments. In fact, our entire life should be marked by that process of denying our own sinful desires in order to follow Christ. Is that part of your experience do you see that is that part of your story could could you tell instances and give testimony about how God called you away from this sin or from that sin in order to follow Christ if you're a believer those things should be present in your life thirdly this call to discipleship is not it is not salvation by works, and I want to make that clear: the invitation to discipleship is not the law. We've just been studying the law and how the law can't save us. Right? Uh, we're not saved by our good works, and so don't hear this this morning and think if I want to be saved, then what I need to do is just obey Jesus better. I, I need to obey God's word more, and then maybe I could be saved. That's that's not what we're we're talking about here. Jesus is our only hope of salvation. His work on the cross, His cross, not our cross, is the only hope of our salvation. You must put your faith completely and totally in what He has done in dying for your sin in order to be saved. And if you have done that, your sin is forgiven and you are right with God and you need to have that pegged down and and, and understood in your mind. So then we would ask this question, well, where does this life of discipleship come from? Why not just receive God's grace and and live an easy life of self-indulgence? If Christ did the work on His cross, then why do I need to take up my cross? Well, we need to understand a couple things. The first is this. The Bible says that in order to receive this gift of salvation, it calls us to repent of our sins and to believe or trust in Jesus Christ. Mark 1.15 says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel that's how you receive this gift of salvation and these two things repentance and faith are not works but they are the disposition of the heart that stands ready to receive the grace of god repentance is when our heart turns from our sin and faith is when our heart turns to christ and puts our trust in him as our lord and savior and so that goes hand in hand with this act of self-denial. That's repentance. Turn from your sins. Deny what seems to be natural to you. And, And following Him is an act of faith. When you believe in Him, when you trust in Him, you trust in Him as your Savior and as your Lord. And so you give your life to follow Him. These go hand in hand with repentance and faith. And then we need to understand that as we live out this life of discipleship, It is not us earning our salvation, right? It isn't us trying to rack up enough points that one day that we'll get into heaven. You know, here's my rewards card and I did enough good things, enough acts of discipleship in order to enter into heaven. No, our our process of discipleship is because we have received the grace of God already. And we are responding with a life of gratitude that says because Christ has saved me, because Christ has given this gift of eternal life, because Christ has brought about forgiveness from my sins, I am in gratitude now responding by giving my life over to him, by yielding control to him, that he might be glorified. And so we need to understand this. This is what 2 Corinthians 5.14 says, For the love of Christ is controls us. Is that true of you? Does the love of Christ control your life? He says this, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. This is the call of discipleship. He's died for us. And since he's died For us, I don't want to live for myself any longer. I want to live for Him. And that's what discipleship is. Are you a disciple of Jesus Christ?